my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a fantastic weekend. Uh, Great show for you today. I was joined by my friend Ian Hayworth. It's always a great time talking to Ian. Uh, We covered a lot. We talked about Elon Musk becoming Twitter's largest shareholder. Uh, We talked about Ian's employer, The Daily Wire, uh, getting into children's content to combat uh, woke Disney. Uh, We talked about Jen Rubin truly outdoing herself this time. Uh, You're going to want to hear that. Um, And we talked about a bunch more. I I think you guys really enjoy it. Before I get to Ian, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. And if you are on iTunes, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Ian Hayworth. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Ian Hayworth. Ian, how you been, man? I'm doing good. I just got back from Wyoming. It's uh, so beautiful out there, living a little Yellowstone-style lifestyle for a couple of days. But uh, good to be back in Tennessee. How are you doing? Oh, it's great, man. I, I, uh, I'm doing great. But Wyoming's awesome. I'm guessing this is your first time to Wyoming, I would have to assume. Yes, never never been. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. A lot of Dude, fun. yeah, I love that state, man. There's only like 600,000 people in the whole state, which is the size of metropolitan Toledo, Ohio, which is like the fifth largest <laughs> city in Ohio. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty great. There's nobody there, just a bunch of bears and mountain lions and, you know, a good time. And they have like no laws either. Like just about everything's legal in Wyoming. It's fantastic. It's a very libertarian <laughs> state. And I survived. It's weird. Yeah. So a lot to get to. Um, but we have to start here. Elon Musk, who has been outspoken, obviously, uh, about how he disagrees with with Twitter's censorship of the right, um, just became Twitter's largest shareholder. He bought over nine percent uh, stake in the company. So obviously, Ian, this is an interesting development. I don't know what I don't know what his plans are here. Maybe just to make a bunch of money. He's really good at that. But like, it's been a joke on Twitter for a long time trying to convince Elon Musk to buy the company. So it's like, you know, hey man, I mean, he is the largest shareholder in Twitter. So that's not nothing. Absolutely. I mean, it's we were chatting a bit before. I'm going to withhold judgment because I think um, Elon Musk is more of a troll than a lot of people like to admit. I think he like some of his behavior with his own stock, for example, with Tesla, he kind of likes to play with the stock market and play with Twitter. So buying Twitter stock is like the perfect storm of that situation. Like the uh, the Twitter stock went up 25 percent in response to him buying nine percent, which is just a massive jump. You were saying before, it's like a penny stock kind of rise. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what he does. But uh, he certainly has been outspoken, especially when it comes to things like free speech. So it will be interesting to see if as a 9% shareholder, he can have any sway there or if he's just going to pump the price up and make an absolute ton of money. But either way, it's funny stuff. Yeah, I mean, what if Twitter censoring the Babylon Bee was the straw that broke the camel's back on big tech censorship? <laughs> just like everything else, they ban a sitting president of the United States. They ban... 
I don't know, half of Republicans that are on social media across the country. But it's like people <laughs> like Elon loves the bee. We all love the bee. <laughs> and well, especially, man, it's like that was the last domino that had to fall. Especially for one of the funniest jokes of the year and that Rachel Levine, uh, Rachel Levine is man of the year. So funny. Uh, the fact that Twitter can't just let them have that one. It's just what a great story. It's just such an easy joke. I mean, it's just a, such a like a mild joke too. Yep. Man, I mean, Will Smith. Will Smith would be more upset, I imagine. But for most of us, we can take a joke. It's not that offensive. Did you see the? Uh, I think I brought this up on the podcast last week after the Will Smith thing. But did you see the? Uh, <laughs> I forget who wrote it. Goodness, it was over a week ago. But it was some donk at uh, at the New York Times opinion page that. Uh, the headline was something along, I'm paraphrasing, but the headline was something along the lines of Jada Pinkett Smith shouldn't have to take a, d- a joke and neither should you. There's <laughs> like, no more jokes. Incredible. Incredible. Journalism against jokes. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of jokes that came out about her of, oh, I wish Will Smith could take a joke like the wife can take a, you know, a D word. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so many things. It's unbelievable. The fact that, you know, he doesn't mind her sleeping around town, but a mild joke about her hair. That's just where he draws the line. The world is a funny place. Funny place, Brady. Yeah, man. I mean, like, you know, I tired of the Will Smith thing, but like my, my brother's a professional comedian. Like I'm around a lot of comics. I've been to a million comedy clubs. Like, dude, Chris Rock could have ended that man's life with jokes. Oh, yeah. If he wanted to. Like he, he was he showed mercy by not just absolutely destroying Will Smith as a human being. Right there. Like, you don't go after a, a professional comic with a microphone when you don't have a microphone and are not a professional comic. Like, this is just, that does not end. Like, if you've ever seen a heckler at a comedy club, that just does not end well. Especially someone like Chris Rock, who's one of the best of our generation. Yeah. You know, it's not oh, like yeah. it was Amy Schumer up there, which, is, you know, Amy Schumer, I do not have faith that she could come back with anything mildly no. funny. Her big joke was, haha, we're here because women are cheaper. But yeah. Chris Rock is, you know, one one of the funniest guys on the planet. I would not uh, go toe to toe with him, funny wise. No, no, that would be a mistake. So last week we talked about um, how Republicans across the country need to embrace legislation like what Ron DeSantis just signed into law, protecting you know small children from the predations of degenerate Democrats. Um, that would have been a much better name for the bill, I think, than whatever. A little bit, a little bit more. Protect the kids from degenerate Democrats. Um, it has a nice ring to it. But, you know, obviously that's good politics. So state legislators uh, across the country and in, in states with, a, you know, a majority of, of Republicans in both houses of, of the state legislatures need to start passing legislation like this. Um, but th- this is before uh, your employers over at Daily Wire said that they're investing 100 million bucks into children's content over the next three years to combat um, Disney's woke gay you know agenda. Um and I don't think this is just good politics, but good business as well. Like I hear from, like, I don't have any kids yet, but like I hear from a lot of parents, people I know, you know, personally, you know, friends and family and, and just, you know, fans of the show. Like I, I hear from a lot of uh, parents who are pretty tired of screening all their kids content <laughs> from Disney mm-hmm. beforehand to make sure there isn't any degeneracy in there. I mean, like who wants to watch all those like awful kids movies twice? I mean, my goodness. <laughs> but uh, so it's not, it sounds tedious, but yeah, man, I, like I, I, I'm hearing from a lot of people that they're just they're tired of it. They're tired about worrying if Disney's gonna slip some, some, some lefty, you know, content in there for their their children. And there's gonna be a market. It's not just good politics, but it's gonna be good business too. I think in the in the in the coming years. 
Oh, I think so too. I mean, there's there's clearly a market for it when Disney are embracing the messaging of a tiny minority. I think that's really the big issue here. It's not that there is a great cultural shift that Disney is following, where you know 50% of the country thinks one way, 50% of the country thinks another way, and Disney is picking one of the sides. Disney is picking sort of under 1% of how the, the country views issues and going full hog in that direction. Like one of their producers was boasting about trying to put as much queerness in young children's programming as possible. That is not a mainstream position by any stretch of the imagination. And honestly, I think it's bizarre that the left generally is choosing this hill to die on because they're just putting votes in Republicans' pockets with really no work. Like they are making Ron DeSantis president in 2024. They already made a, a young kid and a governor in uh, Virginia over this kind of issue because they just made parents a voting block. And Disney and all these other corporations, and then you've got people in politics like Joe Biden coming out with Trans Visibility Day because trans people just aren't visible enough in the United States, apparently. They're just digging their own grave. It's, there's, there's obviously great business there on, on the conservative side. There's a lot of opportunities. But politically, I do not understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, there are a contingent of Democrats, obviously, who will just believe the corporate press narrative blindly so they think that this florida law is like homophobic or anti-trans mm-hmm. or whatever which is of course ridiculous but the law has around like 70 percent support from people when they find out what the the law yep. actually says including over half 51 percent of democrats and something like 75 percent of independents um so i'm like of course this number should be 100 percent because i personally i believe that people who are who people who endorse believing or, or teaching five-year-olds about gay sex or any sex for that matter should be thrown in prison. I mean, I'm not sure how yep. uh, we should be expected to share society with degenerates like that, but like you're right that the left has really outkicked their coverage here. I mean, what a bizarre blatantly immoral and, and of course, unpopular hill to die on. It's just so such strange timing too. I mean, yeah. if you've got to set all these things aside, like Joe Biden is going down the toilet. His administration is, circling the bottom of the drain right now the fact that they are not rallying around i mean it's great for us you know it's fantastic if you want him out of office of course but it's just stunning that you can look at an economy that's collapsing joe biden has shockingly low polling numbers and they are embracing radical trans ideology (laughs) it's just it's just political suicide i mean kamala harris wouldn't be this dumb i mean maybe she would but the fact that Joe Biden in the 70s was calling homosexuals um, security risks and now he's <laughs> going on he's going on about how trans visibility is important. It's just he doesn't believe a word he says. And I think that shows because he's just being run by someone else. There are some very radical people in the White House who are just putting words in his mouth and it's going to have disastrous results, thankfully. But it's like the, the Democratic Party. I mean, they're they're trying to do two things at the same time that cannot coexist and. They're trying to maintain the the Obama playbook, which is get blacks and Hispanics to vote Democrat in large numbers, and and that's it. That's just how you win elections. Um, so they're they're still trying to do that with the race stuff, and then but they're also embracing like the trans propaganda stuff too, and and all of this. And it's like that is just not like I mean, if you look at the data, I mean. Blacks and Hispanics much lo- are much less likely than than white people to buy into the the LGBTQ mm-hmm. plus Batman symbol, you know, like propaganda. <laughs> I mean, like I, I don't think a lot of Black and Hispanic parents want their five year olds taught about gay sex. I mean, that is just not. I mean, like 
sorry, man, a lot of, there's a lot of black folks who are Baptists. There's a lot of Hispanics who are Catholics. Like, it's just not, I, they're trying to do, like, placate all these group, minority groups all at the same time, even when they're, like, diametrically opposed. And it's like, that is just not, I think they're going to find out in November, like, that just, that just does not make sense. It, it absolutely makes no sense. I mean, that's why you're looking at some of these polling, uh, some of these polls coming out of Florida and other, and Texas and other places showing, you know, over a 50% support from the Hispanic community for the Republican Party. And you're like, yeah, man, I, it's just like th- this tactic by the Democrats isn't sustainable. Well, I think they just fundamentally do not understand different communities. I think they they view things in a very, very simple intersectional way, which is if you are some form of minority, then you have a coalition with other minorities. And that's just not true. It might be true for certain types of minorities, maybe like racial groups, you can convince them that they have the same struggle. But just the idea that you can lump together racial communities and then um, communities based on sexual orientation is just absolutely absurd. And it's kind of just as absurd as the fact that LGBT is thrown together. Like the struggle of, say, homosexuals in the United States in, in previous decades where they haven't had the same rights and there has been persecution, the claim that they have the same kind of issues as someone who just decides they're a woman now. It's just laughable that they're all lumped together. And I think this is just what the left does is that they they have to keep chasing an increasingly marginalized group so that they can present themselves as the saviors. But the thing is, people are less and less marginalized. And they also ignore the fact that there is bigotry amongst minority groups. Like, yes, there are a lot of uh, religious Hispanics, religious black people who will not be embracing the kind of uh, trans messaging. But there's also homophobia in these communities in the same way that there's anti-Semitism in these communities that the left simply does not want to talk about. And I think the longer they ignore these issues, the more it's going to blow up in their face when people have to go to the uh, the polling booths about it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like there's bigotry within these same groups against other members of what the Democrats would call the same group. Dude, go to Miami and ask a Colombian about a Cuban. Or vice versa. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like, I mean, ask a, a Mexican about a Cuban or a, a Cuban about a Venezuelan. I mean, like, there's like a lot of like these bigger, you know, these odd, you know, rivalries or I, I guess I don't know if you call it bigotry, but you know, between these groups that that Democrats view as the exact same group of people erroneously, of course. But yeah, man, they, they really just do not understand these people. They just truly do feel entitled to their votes because, you know, they have a D next to their name. Um, but if you want to know how much trouble the Biden regime is in right now, look to none other than Jen Rubin. And Rubin, <laughs> of course, <laughs> I mean, she isn't just like a DNC propagandist anymore. She's like the corporate media version of the Krasenstein brothers on Twitter. Rest in peace. Like just like cringy, mindless, sycophantic slobbering over Democratic politicians. Like it's just like it's it's so bizarre at this point. And he, I just have to read this headline for the audience from from our our friend Jenny in the Washington Post this morning, quote, (laughs) if it weren't for inflation, this president's economic performance would be unmatched. (laughs) So, like, I've never heard, Ian, I've never heard such a short word do so much heavy lifting. I mean, like, like, dude, the word if. I I can't, like, you're hinging an entire worldview on the (laughs) the word if. I mean, like, if you could do that with anything, man. I mean, if what? Like, (laughs) if... If Apollo Creed didn't die in Rocky Three, it's like I, I don't know, man. Like it's just I, if if inflation, which is not created by this this regime, or at least made much much worse, exponentially worse probably by this regime, then the economy would be doing better. Yeah, thanks, Th- thanks, Jen Rubin. I appreciate that. 
if it wasn't called in Russia, Napoleon would have controlled the world. It's just, it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous the way she can just take the biggest central failing of the Biden administration and say, if it wasn't for that, if he didn't suck, he'd be great. It's just, she is a parody of herself at this point. She's gone so beyond parody. It's just this cyclic issue where every couple of months she just becomes another layer of parody. But it kind of summarizes how a lot of people look at Biden and that regardless of how bad he clearly is by every single important metric, there are people in the media who will just do the heavy lifting because they have to. They, they're too deep now. If it wasn't for inflation, the economy would be good. But really, the, the major metric of the economy that matters to most people, it's unbelievable that she has the gall to even say this. Yeah, like if you ignore reality itself, <laughs> then Democrats are doing a great job. I mean, it's like we saw there was a headline. Where was it? It was in the New York Times. Might have been the Washington Post. But they, they ran a they were quoting like a Quinnipiac poll that showed, you know, Biden at 38, 39 percent where he's been, you know, consistently over the last few weeks. And the, the headline, it was hilarious. It was something along the lines of, uh, you know, Biden hits a new low. In, in terms of popularity, despite a booming economy, <laughs> it's like despite a booming economy, and it's like they if you read in the article, it's like they, they said the economy's booming, booming because like, you know, tech like the S&P 500 was doing OK, <laughs> like, like tech stocks are OK. It's like, OK, I, I'm sorry. Like the vast majority of Americans uh, are not living and dying on the S&P 500. Like there's, you know, gas is five dollars a gallon and you can't afford beef. Okay, so it's like people have a lot more, you know, more things to worry about right now. But it's like they just they can't do this. They'll take one metric and you know twist it and try to you know, paint the economy with, through these rose-colored glasses. And it's like you just I can't believe that they still believe these people in their in their ivory towers and their little coastal bubbles. They still they still believe that people will they can piss on people's legs and tell them it's raining and people are stupid enough to believe them. They truly do believe that. And I don't know if it's this phenomenon with our elites just looking at their Twitter followers, you know, like just looking mm-hmm. at like the, the online mob and then seeing what they like and, and thinking they represent the rest of the world. But it's like, man, only 10% of the country. It's like 10, 11% of American voters are on Twitter. You know what I mean? You see politicians fall into this all the time and on both sides where they, they seem to be campaigning for their Twitter followers and not for their actual constituents. And I think that's what the press is doing here. Well, first, Brady, you just need to buy a Tesla. I don't really know what you're complaining right, about. Right, right, of course. But, but it's just, I think you hit the nail on the head in the terms that they just find a metric that makes them look good. I think it's hilarious when Trump was in office, he was touting the stock market. And then you had people like Biden say the stock market isn't indicative of the success of the normal person in the United States. And now that the, now that the stock market is surviving, he's quite happy to use the same metrics. Right. But he just lies about every metric that matters. He talks about, oh, we've created millions of jobs. No, he has not. This is a lie that Biden has told from day one and that they were deep in the red into, I think, nine million jobs in the red or something. And six million of those jobs have come back. And so he's touting himself as creating six million jobs. Joe Biden has not created a single job, not one. And the fact that the the media let him spread these kind of lies, if Trump claimed credit for creating jobs that simply came back after he (laughs) he took his hand off the neck of the economy, there's no way they would let him get away with it. But again, this is just the problem of statistics generally is that you can twist, especially with something complicated like the economy, you can find one metric that makes you look good. But the metric that matters is the fact that people simply have less money in their pocket than they did the other day. When you have inflation that's outpacing um, salary raises, you've got insane price 
um, increases in that you go to the grocery store, your weekly bill is going up every week. There is no way Biden can hide from this. I do. I do not believe that Americans are going to fall for it this time. No. And I understand that Americans notoriously do not understand economics. Um, and I understand that. And I do understand that a lot of people um, do blindly follow the corporate press. You know, like if there's a lot of suburban women, you know, that just believe whatever CNN says. I understand that. But like, like, like you said, when you're talking about price increases, when you're talking about the price of gas, I mean, like, I mean, gas here in Ohio, and we have like one of the lowest gas taxes in the country. I mean, I, I, I just paid like 420 a gallon the other day. You know what I mean? Like it's, and I know it's much worse in most other places, you know, coast to coast, but it's like, you just, you can't tell a family when, when they see their grocery bill that the economy is doing great. Like, it's just, I'm sorry, man. If you can't afford, people are, are having to adjust their lifestyle. I mean, they truly are. I mean, they're, they're having to adjust their lifestyles around the price of food and the price of gas. Um, and you just can't. I, no, nobody going through that is going to be that susceptible to propaganda. There's just no way, especially when the propagandists are so inept. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm sorry, man. Like, Jen Rubin and Jen Psaki are not, like— <laughs> they're not going to go down in history as like great propagandists who like steered the ship of of like public opinion or something. I don't think they're that talented. And obviously, the president has Alzheimer's, so it's like these these people aren't <laughs> these aren't these like these wordsmiths going on TV and and just whipping people up into a frenzy or something. I just don't I don't think they have it in them. Uh, one more thing before I let you go, Ian. Um, apparently, there's an overpopulation of white-tailed deer in the D.C. area, and uh, local politicians who are of course all Democrats. Uh, instead of, say, you know, raising the bag limit for deer or, I don't know, lowering the cost of out-of-state hunting licenses or something like that, they're, prop- they're proposing that the government reintroduce wolves to the area to kill all the deer. So, uh, you know, thousands of killer dogs released into a population of unarmed leftists. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> it just reminds you of that Simpsons episode where they keep introducing a more and more terrifying animal <laughs> yeah. until— isn't it gorillas? And they say, what do we do with gorillas? Oh, winter comes, I'll freeze to death. It's just bizarre <laughs> that this is like Mayor Quimby level <laughs> legislation. Yeah, and they, they did this in Chicago a few years ago. It's like they had all the, this horrible rat problem. And so they brought in house cats and just released like a ton of house cats onto the streets to kill all the rats. And now there's like millions of cats walking around everywhere bothering people. So they're like, oh, should we bring in coyotes to kill the cats? And it's like... You can keep going. I mean, they, like a real life Simpsons episode. Like, I don't know where that ends, man. If you just bring, if you just keep working up the uh, native, you know, the 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 North American food chain, then you're gonna go to like bobcats, wolves, mountain lions, grizzly bears, and then of course hunters. And then you're gonna have to bring in a bunch of rednecks like me to come shoot the grizzly bears. And then I don't know what you do with a bunch of us. And then you have a whole bunch of rednecks walking around D.C. with rifles, and none of the libs around there want that. So it's like, you know, it, it's it's gonna come. Full circle, they could just call. I mean, just call me if you have too many deer. I don't want you to just call your boy. I mean, I'm easy to get a hold of. You know, I can make a trip out to DC and then do some work. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the problem is. Also, you don't want these rednecks breeding too much. You know how they get in the summertime, it's uh, <laughs> get pretty messy. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just the way that they can see a problem and not see the obvious consequences of their first, second solution. The obvious solution is bring in more hunters. That's what yeah. they do in most other countries in the world war or other states where they already have hunting. Of course. If they have certain animals that explode in number, then you just change the short-term legislation, allow people to hunt them a bit more, and it's done. No, they, they want to reintroduce the next animal up that will also breed 
and then we'll have the same problem but worse. What are we going to do? Send Liam Neeson in when the, <laughs> the walls get a bit too get a bit too much. It's just ridiculous. Do how long? How much time and energy and literal death, blood, sweat, and tears has gone into like you know reducing, say, the wolf population? I mean, dude, come on. For all of human history, we've put a lot of time and effort into getting rid of wolves. And these morons are like, let's just bring out a, just a ton of You know what we need? <laughs> a ton of wolves. Like, come on. There's baby. no way this would go wrong. Do you know how many They're babies were dogs. eaten? Yeah. Do you know how many babies were eaten by wolves before we got a handle on the wolf population? Everybody's like, oh, let's just go back. Let's go back to the good old days, man. Wolves just walking down the street, just offing dudes. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I mean, it's like they had um, they used to have wolves in the um, United Kingdom. They killed them all for obvious reasons in that they kill humans. <laughs> They're not like foxes where you can just live along the, alongside them, put decent chicken coops up and you'll be OK. It's like, no, they they want to kill you. Yeah. And they, oh, yeah. they are more than capable of doing so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just funny, man. Like anytime, like it, it's funny seeing this out of D.C. Other states have done this. Montana famously did this a few years ago, well, maybe maybe a decade ago. Brought in a bunch of Canadian timber wolves that got out of control and were killing people and killing, you know, billions of dollars of livestock and stuff like that. Now they have to beg hunters to go shoot wolves. And it's like they keep it's like I don't understand why it's like politicians making laws and and policy based on like nature is hilarious because most politicians have never like been outside before. You know, they just have no experience in the outdoors or with nature at all. It's like I don't know. I don't they should probably talk to like conservation groups you know like out actual hunters and anglers people that have touched grass as the kids say but uh no you know let the dudes in suits make like you know policy based on wildlife that makes sense makes makes a whole lot of sense well they're the ones who would start jurassic park up again wouldn't they and then just be <laughs> yes. shocked when you've got dinosaurs <laughs> walking around the earth killing everyone <laughs> the one guy yeah man the di- the doctor from peaky blinders i mean he probably would have advised against that because he actually knew stuff about dinosaurs but <laughs> I don't know. The elites. It's the elites, Ian. They screw everything. It's always, it's always the elites. <laughs> They're turning the freaking frogs gay. All right, Ian, my brother. Thanks for doing this, man. We'll do it again soon. Where can everybody uh, follow you online, read your stuff, keep in touch, and all that good stuff? Yeah, you can find me uh, all social media. I G H A W O R T H. Everybody, follow Ian. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Um.